Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us for the hour for a national progressive town hall meeting. He represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep Ro, R-O Khanna on Twitter. He's vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus as well. Congressman Khanna, welcome back to the program. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts President Biden announcing that there was a deal, a bipartisan deal on infrastructure, and then not 40 minutes later, Lindsey Graham coming out and dropping F-bombs and saying, no way, and uh, Mitch McConnell backing away from this, too. I read your column, and the point you made, I think, was dead on, and that is that the Republicans have no intention of actually doing something bipartisan. Lise McConnell and Lindsey Graham did not. They knew this was a two-step deal. They didn't say anything until it happened. They want to blame the Democrats if it blows up. So they had this photo op. Now President Biden is going to do something big with the Democrats in Senate. That's the only way it would pass the House. And then you already have the narrative trying to be set by Graham and McConnell that they were trying to be bipartisan and Biden is blowing up the deal. And I think what's really important is for us to push back and say this was not in good faith, as, as your column uh, does, and, and, and anyone should read it. Well, thank you. Yeah, how do you think this is going to play out? I'm arguing that at first I was kind of hoping that what was actually happening here was that Biden and Schumer were just kind of trying to prove to the American people that the Republicans aren't negotiating in good faith and that we're just going to have to do it ourselves if we want to get something done. That narrative got blown up when President Biden came out and said, we've got a deal. In fact, if anything, it was a huge PR victory for the Republicans. I'm very concerned. I mean, when Mitch McConnell was confronted with opposition to beer bong Brett Kavanaugh, you know, he changed the filibuster, right? <laughs> so that you can't filibuster Supreme Court justices anymore. And then he canceled the summer vacation and said, you know, we're going to jam judges yep. through all summer long. What's going on in Washington, D.C.? Why are we not hearing that kind of resolve and seeing that kind of action, which, by the way, uh, harkens back to LBJ? Why are we not seeing that right now from the Democratic caucus? 
Well, you can't claim a place in history with LBJ without doing what LBJ did. And so if we really want to have a bold, progressive agenda, we have to be willing to have that kind of result. I think this comes just down to whether we can get the senators to say that they're at least willing to have exceptions to the filibuster. I mean, I think we ought to do away with it, but at the very least on voting rights, on critical issues of uh, racial justice, there should be an exception. And then we uh, should be willing to just pass the infrastructure bill and, and go bold. It's a shame we had to go through all these theatrics of the bipartisanship just to get our own caucus on board. Look, if the president pulls it off and we get a big plan and he can also have the bipartisan win, more power to him. But I, right. I'm i just more cynic. I'm, I guess I'm a little more cynical of McConnell and Lindsey Graham's motives, especially it took them a couple of hours before they were already blaming Biden for the deal falling apart. Yeah. The reconciliation exception to the filibuster, when it was passed back in the day, was rationalized by saying uh, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution expressly gives Congress the right to raise taxes and spend money. And therefore, the filibuster can't be used to block things that involve raising taxes or spending money because it's in the Constitution. Right. That was the rationale. I didn't know that history. Yeah. yeah. And then and then when McConnell blew up the judges thing, well, actually, the lower court judges were blown up before that by I believe it was Schumer. Maybe it was Harry Reid. The, the rationale was that the right of Congress to advise and consent with regard to judges is in the Constitution. So if it's in the Constitution, we should make an exception to it in the filibuster. That was, the, you know, that they, they trotted out that exact same rationale to blow up the filibuster on judges. Well, infrastructure, I mean, roads are in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Right. You know, postal roads. And I realize, you know, they're talking about pushing right this through to, to reconciliation. Right the yes, that's, and that's where I was going. I, and thank you for jumping in. The right to vote is not only in the Constitution, it's in the Constitution in several different places. So why not use that? You're preaching to the choir, Tom. I mean, okay. this is, uh, this is uh, well, this is the uh, argument we've been making that how can you not at least get a filibuster exception to protect people's right to vote. And I, I really think the White House could be stronger here. I mean, I, you know, they say, well, it's the senators. But we don't know what it is until we have a very strong leadership. I mean, the president calls and says, I want a voting rights exception. I am calling it for that. Uh, this is part of my promise. This is part of my success as an administration. If the president and vice president did that, and then you still had large opposition, then you could say, well, we've we've really tried everything. But right. we haven't had a concerted statement from our leadership saying this is what we need to do, the way Harry Reid did it for right. for judges. Yeah, yeah. Call a vote on changing the Senate rules. We've got a whole bunch of callers here who want to talk to you, and so I'm going to stop. Anything that you wanted to alert people to before we go to the phone calls? Or talk about I would just say that the Progressive Caucus is in a pretty strong position. In my f five years in the, in the caucus, I've never seen the president and the speaker all adopt the progressive talking points, which were that we weren't going to pass any bipartisan bill unless uh, reconciliation was passed first through the Senate and the House. And that's basically what the speaker has said, what the president has said. So I feel good about the substance. I think we're going to get a big bill through about the House and the Senate on infrastructure. I think the president's going to sign it. Uh, my concern is uh, what Lindsey Graham and McConnell are going to do. And I, it may very well have been a trap where they're now going to try to blame anything falling apart uh, on the White House and on Democrats. Yeah, which would be unfortunate. And, and I don't want to be, uh, you know, one of those people who's piling on the Democrats. I really struggled with this morning's op-ed. But on the other hand, 
I just really think it's time to take names and kick ass. So let's pick up our phone calls here. Jeremiah in Coalport, Pennsylvania. You are on the air with Representative Khanna. Hey, Congressman. I was wondering where we are with the uh, Trump uh, tax increase that was built into the Trump tax cut. Um, because if uh, we don't get this repealed, um, you know Republicans are going to have no problem blaming uh, the Democrats for the tax increase, even though this was built into a Republican bill, which they all voted for. This is the tax increases on people earning less than $75,000 yeah. a year that kicks in this year? That's what you're talking about, Jeremiah? Yes. Okay. Cong yes. Congressman? Jeremiah, it's, uh, you're right to raise it. That is part of what we will be repealing as part of reconciliation. We're also going to be repealing other parts of the tax cut that went, that gave tax cuts to the wealthy. But we certainly will repeal the tax increase uh, aspects of it. Uh, and I'm confident we'll have the Senate votes to do that. That's great. That's great. Fifteen minutes past the hour. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls in a progressive national town hall meeting. Congressman Khanna is vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Joe in Cupertino, California, you are on the air with your car. I swear, Joe, you must have an auto dialer because every line was full. You must. Anyway, you're on the air with your congressman. Tom, I just wanted to give a shout out to your friends at uh, what is it, Steph and Steve in Sunnyvale, California, with the matching of the fund that's Congressman's district as well. Mm -hmm. And, Ro, I guess I wanted to see if you thought after President Biden met with uh, Putin what he thought about uh, the ICBM missiles and the retrofit, because I know that's something that you're arguing about. But uh, my question is, wind, wind, offshore wind power turbines, we can't develop that in America because we don't have the ships to build it. They do it in Scandinavia really well, but they can't come to America because of the Jones Act. And they can go to Nova Scotia and do some work on the East Coast and then go back to Nova Scotia, but they can't port in America. If we build the ships that can build wind turbines offshore on the Pacific Coast, we can energize the Pacific Coast. And I wondered if maybe you would get with President Biden and fund that. I'll take your answer off the air. But thank you so much. So it's a great idea. I, I uh, am happy to look into it uh, in terms of building the ships and what we need to do for uh, offshore wind energy. And on your other point on ICBMs, I mean, uh, I'm very concerned that the president's defense budget is still funding uh, further development of low-yield nuclear weapons to put on submarines, a Trump policy, and is calling for intermediate-range uh, inter uh, ICBMs uh, uh, that will uh, strike in, uh, strike potentially China, encircling China, something that Gorbachev and uh, uh, Reagan uh, got rid of. And then on the ICBM part, uh, they're calling for modernization at a, at a huge expense, which is unnecessary. So we need to really get back into the arms control uh, paradigm. Mark in Framingham, Massachusetts, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Hello, uh, Congressman. I was wondering um, if you plan to support um, H.R. 2590 uh, from Betty uh, McCollum in uh, the 4th District of Minnesota. It's a defending the human rights of Palestinian children and families. I was just wondering what your thoughts on that would be. Well, I am a strong supporter of Palestinian human rights and, and have criticized uh, the Israeli government for destroying uh, villages. Uh, I have uh, uh, been outspoken on uh, making sure that any of our aid uh, have 
uh, a clear restriction that it not be used to violate human rights. But what I would like to focus on is the Leahy Law and the Arms Export Control Act, which currently is not being enforced because we don't get the data uh, of how our aid is being used uh, in Israel. And I think we ought to be uh, pushing for that. And I've called, I've said that we should have hearings on both of that Leahy and Arms Export Control Act to uh, enforce it, which would get, in my view, at many of the human rights violations. So we've been, does this go back to, we, we have 30 seconds, does this go back to the Jimmy Carter administration with the, with the deal where we were going to give $3 billion a year each to Israel and Egypt if they work out a peace deal and we're just not getting an accounting of how that money is being used? Is that the point? I don't know when the aid started. Uh, I, I, I would have to, to look at that. But the, what I've been told by the State Department is that we don't get an accounting about how, whether Egypt or Israel, about how the aid is actually being used. And to enforce Leahy, you need to have an accounting of how it's being used. It shouldn't be used, for example, to demolish Palestinian villages. And I, yeah. I think there's a large support in Congress to have that transparency and have Leahy and arms export actually enforced. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Senator O'Connor with us taking your calls for the hour. Dan in Watertown, South Dakota, you are on the air with Representative Kana. I was thinking about this filibuster rule. Can we just put one stipulation in there that says, like reconciliation, you can only use this rule one or two times a year? Then we can break up those big bills and they can't block everything they hate. That's a reasonable proposal, too. I mean, look, I, I, I think uh, progressives have been willing to compromise here. We want to end the filibuster. We've said let's have some key exceptions. If you want to limit the amount of uses of those exceptions, we are willing to do that. What we're not willing to do is, is to say that the entirety of Biden's agenda on voting rights, on immigration, on, uh, the, uh, on, on gun violence, uh, on climate, uh, is, is, is stalled, and that the only thing we're going to get is infrastructure uh, because of the, this arcane rule where you need 60 senators. And think about the long-term implications of that, uh, given how uh, the population is, is spread out in this country and who gets senators. Uh, your entire, you can't have a sense that even if we elected a truly progressive president, if Bernie Sanders tomorrow became president, you, you, we have to wait till we get 60 senators. Uh, that means the progressive agenda is really going to be stalled indefinitely. And so th this has to be solved in terms of an exception uh, or uh, some uh, agreement that you can't just stall the agenda until you get 60 senators to vote for something. Norm in Tampa, Florida. You're on the air with Representative Kana. Yes, uh, Congressman Kohana. Uh, we need your help. I am a pharmacist, and the pharmacist, dentists, and physicians need your help in addressing the CDC opioid guidelines that have been proven to be unscientific. And we know when Congress is going to do something about this because it's harming our patients. People are committing suicide. And, and, and we need, we've been dem demanding that something be done about this and stuff. I have a blog or we have a blog, and these are from people from the American Medical Association has come out against these so-called guidelines. The American Academy of Physicians have come out against these opioid uh, guidelines, and, they, and, 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 they're, and we have, uh, I have a blog called youarewithinthenorms.com. Youarewithinthenorms.com. These guidelines are so harmful 
that people are committing suicide. In fact, there's an interesting article written by Sally Sattel, who is a Columbia uh, uh, University psychiatrist at the medical school there, and she has described how these guidelines are causing suicide in patients. And the most people that are being affected by this, we pull this up, are white people that are killing themselves because of, the, of being denied treatment and proper medication. We need Congress, the Oversight Committee, to do something here. Well, I appreciate it. Look, there has to be a balance. Uh, the, the, these drug companies exploited uh, loopholes and uh, ended up uh, producing uh, opioids that uh, got people addicted, and, and they pushed them on uh, patients who were vulnerable to make money. They obviously have to be held accountable. There had to be standards. But there has to be a balance. You can't go to the other extreme where if patients actually need it and if it's something that is uh, doctors are saying are necessary, that, that we ban it. And so I'm happy to look at it and raise it uh, in the Oversight Committee to make sure we have that appropriate balance. Dennis in Racine, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Representative Connor. Wondering why the uh, threshold for tax paying taxes on Social Security income hasn't been raised since day one. Or even go back to the way it was before Reagan fixed Social Security in 1983. It wasn't taxed at all, Social Security income. Yeah, no, I know. And we get this question every time uh, on the show, and I, I, I understand it. And, I, you know, every time I take it to uh, some of the groups, they say, well, that they can put Social Security's funding at risk. But I, I, I personally think that we ought to be uh, raising, I mean, obviously eliminating the cap, taxing people over 250000 seeing if, if, if they can pay a higher tax and figuring out less uh, tax burden on the working class and uh, people who are barely making it. Uh, so certainly uh, that seems to be a much more logical way to fund the system. Yeah. Carol in Houston, Texas, you are on the air with Representative Connor. I am interested to know about an oversight committee that you just mentioned for the CDC. Are you going to be instrumental in bringing this about, or uh, how is this going to work? Well, Carol, I uh, serve on the Oversight Committee, so I will uh, talk to staff and Carolyn Maloney, the chair. Uh, I chair the Environment Committee, but this one would go to the broader committee and talk to her about needing a balance uh, policy on uh, opioids that holds the pharmaceutical companies accountable, but also uh, empowers doctors to do what's uh, in their judgment. And then uh, it will be uh, her decision about uh, how to move forward. Myron in Mobile, Alabama. You're on the air with Representative Connor. Why don't the uh, Democrats go after the pensions for these government officials that are practicing malfeasance in plain sight? When they talked about voter fraud, voter fraud was done by the GOP in plain sight. They put the joy in office to hamstring the post office. They put fake ballot boxes out to collect those ballots in advance. And now they're passing special laws to prohibit people from voting at the polls. All those things fall under the category of malfeasance. Now, the Democrats, they got to stop coming to a soccer game dressed up to play beach ball. They need to go after these guys. Thank you, Mike. Well, I agree with you. And I'm not one of those people who says, let's just move on and forget the crimes that were committed. I think we have to hold people accountable uh, and... Uh, Taking away their pension is the least uh, of that if uh, if they've committed blatant crimes, which I believe DeJoy has. And so, uh, obviously, he should lose his pension if that's the case, but he also uh, needs to face the consequences of the Justice Department 
uh, we need to make it clear that there are consequences to people who came in the administration and uh, broke the law, uh, or those things will continue. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Hey, good day, Tom and Representative Connor. Thanks for the vibrant town hall. Um, you know, Representative Connor, the beauty of a strong progressive agenda is that in doing the humane and responsible right thing, you almost always end up saving money in the long run. So with regards to climate and health care as a human right, I hope any reconciliation package has a real sense of urgency. And listening to Bernie on Tom's show yesterday and seeing Pramila Jayapal and Rachel Maddow last night, neither of them talked specifically about lowering the Medicare age uh, lowering the age for Medicare. Um, I, a, I hope that's something you'll prioritize. And B, do you agree with your colleague Jamal Bowman that any bipartisan deal uh, should, cannot include privatization of public assets? Thank you, Congressman. Jeff, a, a lot of good points. I do believe we ought to extend Medicare. The president campaigned on extending it to 60. I, ought, I think that ought to be part of this infrastructure, a human infrastructure bill, uh, in addition to what Senator Sanders is pushing, which is finally getting health, uh, me, uh, dental and vision and eye care uh, for our seniors, for people who are on Medicare, expanding Medicare so that it covers uh, those basics. Uh, and uh, I, I do think... Uh, uh, I mean, I haven't looked at the details of what uh, Representative Bowman is saying, but I don't think we should be privatizing uh, any uh, uh, public assets. So if uh, that is part, if there are provisions in the bill that uh, do that, I would not support those. Dale in Rockford, Illinois, you're on the air with Representative Connor. It'd be more efficient in protecting the vote if we used thumbprints instead of signatures. Signatures change from as we age. Thumbprints don't. Dale, I, I'd have to look into that. This is the first time uh, someone is, uh, has brought that up. I, I would just say that the real fraud in this country is people being tossed off voter rolls, uh, is uh, the restrictions and barriers that we place on people voting. Uh, there statistically isn't some mass fraud of people voting uh, with false IDs or voting uh, who aren't citizens. Uh, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have basic security and basic safeguards, uh, but we ought to always remind ourselves of what the real problem is, and that is that we have systematically created barriers for people to vote. Kevin in Terre Haute, Indiana, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Uh, yes, uh, Congressman, uh, I would like to see that uh, on our federal elections, uh, or every two elections, that, you know, they're always uh, say that, oh, all this voter fraud, well, how come the federal government doesn't have like picks like five states every two elections and totally go through uh, their election process and then they would say hey you, this state that claims all these voter frauds you know uh, they they do with no evidence and and they actually are interfering with with the, the elections uh, of the people you know uh, I, I think that you know with all these claims for these uh, uh, you know, voter fraud claims, you know, that, that comes from red states every every two years. How come that our federal system of, of, of election interference doesn't work, that we are going to find out the truth and we are going to present it one way or the other? And if they did it every, every five years or every two years and they just picked five states at random, everybody could be under the scrutiny uh, of of a government that's, that actually would work for the people's uh, votes. 
Yeah, it's a good idea, and I think maybe the Voting Rights Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, can can have that kind of provision. I mean, you need some provision to for the have uh, federal government have that uh, authority over states, and I think having basic auditing uh, uh, makes sense because in most of these cases, uh, it's totally made up, and in many of the cases, it's just conspiracy theories. And by and large, in this country, uh, voting happens in a in a way that uh, the barriers are the problem, not people committing fraud. Steve in New Boston, Michigan, you are on the air with Representative Kana. Hello, Representative Kana. I was wondering if you've seen the news report that came out two days ago. It was on uh, CNN and also the local Detroit Free Press. That reads, Michigan GOP investigation finds no evidence of widespread fraud in 2020 election. And the report continues to go on also asking for our Attorney General uh, Dana Nessel to investigate these claims made by these people to see where they may have personally profited either politically or financially by making their fraudulent claims. Have you seen this report yet? And can you comment on it? Well, Steve, no, but it sounds uh, terrific. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it, and I think we have to get that out there. Uh, it, the, it's, it, it matches with my own intuition and common sense that there wasn't this fraud, and if there are people who are deliberately making very serious claims that go to our heart of the democracy, that has to be investigated as well. So uh, I will uh, read the report uh, after uh, this town hall. It's, it's, it's absolutely remarkable, Congressman. Um, the, the Republican, uh, these are the Republicans in Michigan. They, they held months of hearings. They had uh, Giuliani's people. They had Mike Lindell's people. They had all these people come in and present all their crackpot stuff. They actually issued subpoenas. They dug deep, and they concluded at the very end there's absolutely no evidence of any kind of widespread fraud or uh, voter fraud or anything like that. And then they recommended that Michigan should follow Georgia's example and tighten its voting laws because there's a widespread public perception that there's fraud. <laughs> Just a little little bit of irony there that I thought you would appreciate. Um, yeah, well, the, uh, at, least, at least there's a factual record, but the, yes. uh, the, the, the pretenses, I mean, let's be very clear, these are partisan attempts to make sure that Democrats don't vote. I mean, it's, yep. yes, it's, it, 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 it disproportionately affects black people, but they're being partisan to say Democrats should vote. And then people are saying, well, the Senate should be bipartisan and not pushing back against partisanship. I mean, it uh, makes no sense. Yeah, amen. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Cheryl in Missouri. Hey, Cheryl, what's on your mind today? Congressman Rokana, uh, by the way, I once lived in your district. Uh, I have a quick fix for a, a major injustice of the Social Security system, and I'm a perfect example. I get $800 a month Social Security because I work most of my life for extremely low wages. <laughs> so I was penalized once for having to work hard for low wages. Now I'm penalized permanently for a low Social Security I think that uh, there should be a minimum floor on Social Security that's somewhere near what a person could live on with some dignity. I'm suggesting like $1,500 a month. It wouldn't cost that much, be very effective. It's a clean kind of bill. What's your response? Larry, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially because that's similar to uh, the SSDI uh, uh, program. And so I think at the very least, if someone is working, and uh, they, they, there, there ought to be a, a floor to it. So I, I am uh, happy to look into that as a legislative uh, proposal. Yeah, I, I think that's particularly nuts. I mean, you know, I went on Social Security five years ago, and I'm, I'm making over $3,000 a month on Social Security because during my life I've had some really, really good years and uh, you know selling businesses and things but you know why should somebody be punished for working low-wage work all their lives it just doesn't i don't get it um anyhow liz in uh, los angeles liz you're on the air with congressman Kana. hi good morning um I, I listen to a lot of public radio and the other day i it was either yesterday or wednesday i heard a report that mitch mcconnell was actually losing to his opponent in the race, and, and suddenly at the last minute, M McConnell won um, his seat back. And I think there should be an investigation into whatever went on there in Kentucky. Uh, Liz, I, I and, and Congressman, I, I had repeated that um, a couple of weeks ago. Somebody had called in and said it, and I took it to be true. I just looked at the uh, Mason-Dixon polling from October of 2020. And uh, Mitch McConnell at that point was leading Amy McGrath by about uh, seven points. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I think Liz's premise might be wrong. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I think that the challenge for us is uh, how do we defeat McConnell? I mean, he's obviously a very uh, effective politician in terms of the alliances, corporate alliances he's had in Kentucky. Uh, but... Uh, uh, we need to keep uh, building our base there and, and having a message that can, can defeat him. I'm not sure that he won because of uh, uh, fraud. I just think uh, he has built a lot of he has a lot of corporate interests and other interests there that are, are backing him. And they carpet bombed the state. We have 10 seconds. They just absolutely carpet bombed the state with advertising. And that's that money in politics thing. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's, uh, that's why he can get away taking positions that 70, 80 percent of people don't agree with. Yeah, there you go. Paul in Woodinville, Washington, you're on the air with Representative Connor. 
Okay, well, my question is a bit rhetorical, and it's a, kind of the theme that this town hall began with, was how can you trust Republicans? And my, I'm going to add some information to the previous caller, that how can you trust Republicans, for instance, in Michigan, when their state Senate releases a report that says there was absolutely no fraud in the 2020 election in Michigan, and that those who propagated this lie should possibly be prosecuted criminally, yet they insist that 39 voter obstruction reforms need to be instated be, just to, to make sure that no fraud takes place. They're not backing off the 39 obstructions. They're saying this is, what, this is like giving 39 medications to a person who's not sick to make sure they don't become ill. No, they're not backing off it a bit. They're saying we need every one of them. They're not even saying, well, we don't need all of them. They're saying we need every one of these 39 to ensure that, the, that we can release a report like this next, in next election. That's what they're saying. This is duplicitous. It's a lie. How can you work with these people? That's the theme of this town hall is they can't be trusted and you can't work with them. Thank you, Paul. Congressman? Well, that's, that, that's pretty, uh, pretty powerful. I mean, I think you're absolutely right in the diagnosis of uh, uh, Michigan. I mean, the fact that uh, they are, have 39 r restrictive voting rights pr provisions after they found that there was no fraud committed uh, is uh, just hypocrisy. And what they ought to be doing is figuring out how do we uh, enhance uh, the uh, right to vote, the, act, uh, the ability of people to vote. But they know that this is all about power. This is all about the more people that vote, uh, the, the more risk they are of losing elections. Tim in Hendersonville, North Carolina. You're on the air with Representative Connor. Back in uh, April of 2020, the Trump administration allocated a certain amount of money for uh, Small Business Administration loans, EIDL loans. I'm an artist, 40 years, sign artist. I'm a guild of 14,000 people across the United States. Anyway, and uh, my wife works uh, delivering for Shipped. We applied and uh, didn't even take the full amount, and everybody I know got within 10 days, got the loan. Fast forward 2021, March, uh, two, double the money in the Biden administration. We all reapplied to try to get even the same amount of money, and to date, we've all got turned down. Now, where's the transparency? What's going on? We're all progressive Democrats that worked hard to elect the Biden administration, everybody we could. Every one of us have been turned down. And, you know, I've called the SBA seven times in four months, and they just say, well, it's being pro processed. And yet, That's frustrating to hear. That's frustrating to hear. Contact my office, and we'll put you in touch with your member of Congress. I think you need to have a congressperson intervene to make sure that uh, your case isn't getting uh, uh, lost in the bureaucracy. But that shouldn't be happening. We gave uh, the SBA a lot of money to, to make sure that uh, people like you were getting the, the, the assistance. So it's uh, frustrating to hear that that's not happening. Michael in Las Vegas, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you taking my call quickly. So, Representative Khanna, I know you represent Silicon Valley. Um, I don't want to say exactly what it was that Twitter suspended one of my uh, first accounts for, but um, I felt like it was not hateful. And I'm just wondering, are you or anybody in Congress looking at passing legislation that might regulate social media or just ensure that they are equally and fairly enforcing their terms of service across the platforms, you know, towards everybody. 
Michael, absolutely. Well, first, we have to have a stronger antitrust protection so you can have more than a few social media sites uh, come up because uh, uh, right now these sites are, are, are basically monopolies on the conversation. So we need to have more uh, spaces. Second, we need to have disclosure requirements so we understand what their terms of service are, why, how they enforce it, and have a process. They should have a process of uh, giving people fair consideration. And if they aren't being able to do that, uh, then they should be uh, sued for for discriminating against people uh, unfairly. So uh, there is a lot of legislation that's uh, working its way through judiciary, and I absolutely agree that we need well-crafted regulation. Congressman, last 10 seconds, thoughts on what we should be paying attention to this coming week? Well, I think it's all about right now two issues, voting rights. I mean, that's critical. It's critical on a very pragmatic basis in the midterm. We could do everything right and still not get there. And then uh, infrastructure. I mean, we, we've got to go bold. We've got to go big. And then we'll see what the Republicans do. I, I, I tend to think uh, with you, Tom, that they're they're being duplicitous here and it's a trap. But, but let's see. Okay. Congressman Connor, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great talking to you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. that I just want to drop on you real quick and then I will pick up your phone calls here. The first is uh, Nancy Pelosi this morning named the members to her January 6th select committee that will have subpoena power. We will see if they have the will to enforce their subpoenas. You'll recall that uh, back, you know, uh, uh, a year or so ago, they tried to subpoena, what, two years ago, I guess it was, uh, the Democrats in the House subpoenaed Don McGahn and other members of the Trump administration who all just basically said, screw you. Now, the subpoena power presumably includes the ability to arrest and, and you know, f compel testimony is the phrase that they use, but they didn't do it. Will they do it this time? We'll see. She has named eight members of the select committee and the, um, oh, hang on just a second, get the page right here. The chair, I'm not sure who the chair of the committee is going to be. These, uh, several of these people are called chair, like Chair Adam Schiff, because he's the chair of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, or Chair Benny Thompson, who's the chair of the Homeland Security Committee. So anyhow, it is going to be, so far, they've got seven Democrats and one Republican. And I'm guessing that this one Republican, Liz Cheney, is probably going to be the only one. I'm surprised Adam Kinzinger is not on the committee, although maybe he declined. Kevin McCarthy uh, has not said it publicly, but in private it is reported that he said that he told the uh, Republicans, uh, members of his uh, caucus, that if they serve on this committee, they will lose all their other committee assignments. So, you know, who's willing to call his bluff? Well, Liz Cheney is. Uh, so the members of the, co of the committee are going to be Benny Thompson, Zoe Lofgren, Adam Schiff, Pete Aguilar, who is on House Administration Appropriation, Stephanie Murray, who is on Armed Services, Jamie Raskin, who is just a crackerjack lawyer. He, boy, he, he really knows what, uh, who's on Oversight and Judiciary Committees. Uh, and uh, Elaine Luria, who I don't know a whole lot about. Elaine Luria is a Navy veteran on Armed Services and Homeland Security Committees. And uh, only two Republicans, by the way, voted in favor of even creating this committee. Kissin Kinzinger of Illinois, a Republican, and, uh, and, and Liz Cheney, a Republican of Wyoming. And that was it. 
Uh, the select committee will have full subpoena powers. Uh, the question, one of the questions is whether she will, whether this committee will subpoena Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy was on the phone with Donald Trump during the attempted coup against the United States, begging Donald Trump to send in the, send in the National Guard, help us out here, we're under attack. People roaming the halls. Uh, the New York Times, by the way, has an absolutely mind-boggling report on this with 40 minutes of video, step-by-step, sequence-by-sequence, uh, showing where people went and who went there and what they did in the Capitol and when and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and Trump was watching it all on TV, apparently gleeful, and, uh, you know, and doing absolutely nothing because, you know, hey, Steve in Bloomington, Indiana. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Yeah, no matter how hot it gets in Oregon, you will be cool. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, what's on um, your mind? I'm, I'm on a mission uh, with, uh, with the weather patterns and the fires in the West Coast and Mr. Biden talking about, you know, we need to fix this. We have the training program in place by the Job Corps, but it's been gutted so bad, and it's ran by the Department of Forestry. We need to really push and get fire. Hang on, hang on just a second. This is a training program for what? Forest fires. Oh, for, for, for preventing or for fighting? Yeah, for fighting them. Okay. And it used to be in place when I was in the Job Corps in Nebraska. They uh-huh. sent us out to Wyoming and everywhere, but they dropped the program's been gutted. And that's where we can get people trained to fight these forest fires. I'm in Missouri with the National Twain Forest and State Forest, and there is no contingency plan here. I have talked to the Midwest director of the of the Job Corps that covers Illinois and Missouri, and she's, she, she likes her job, but she's not pushing this. I, I've been on C-SPAN everywhere saying, you know, we've got the people to train them, the Department of Forestry, right there teaching everything else. Why don't we start up the forest fire uh, fighting nationally again like it used to be? Mm-hmm. And secondarily, the Job Corps would be a great place to train people for solar and, and, and other envi- you know, environmental-friendly sources of energy. We don't yet know the details because they're still working out the details of the, uh, what might be between a $2 and $6 trillion deal passed by reconciliation for infrastructure in the United States. But I would be astonished if dealing with forest fires was not a big piece of it. And, well, I and, hope so, and yeah. I'm going to keep pushing. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Sir. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? Nancy Pelosi and the committee, their subpoena power, because I think, you know, I, you know, don't get me wrong. She's in San Francisco. I'm, you know, live about 80 miles away from there. So I have a different congressional representative. I have Panetta, mm-hmm. uh, Panetta's son, uh, Jimmy Panetta. But anyway, um, she and I like her. I like her, but too often to me, she is sort of backed down uh, to challenges like really going after the the Republicans. So uh, I don't know who they're going to subpoena. I can imagine that they might be subpoenaing some of these people, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Proud Boys, who actually were involved in the insurrection. Do you think that they're going to do that and have them speak? Um, I don't see how they could fight a subpoena 
I know that, uh, especially if they've already, if, if 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 they get to any of those who have already been convicted, right, and maybe have already started serving their uh, their terms. Uh, those, I guess, who have not been convicted yet or are still in trial, uh, can they be subpoenaed or no? Is that going to be some sort of abridgment of their? Uh, you know, constitutional judicial rights. They, you can subpoena anybody, and and you know, like uh, <laughs> Santos Traficante and Carlos Marcello famously told uh, Bobby Kennedy back in the day. You know, I refuse to test uh, to uh, to to answer that question on the grounds that it may tend to incriminate me. Uh, they can ins- they can assert their Fifth Amendment rights. Um, I'm guessing that the w- the place where the subpoena power is going to be most effective is not going to be in getting former Trump officials unless Trump has already turned on them and they're willing to speak, you know, in response to a subpoena. Uh, people like Christopher Ray, for example, and maybe Chris Miller. I'm guessing that it's not going to be yeah. getting uh, people like Don began, you know, former Trump official people, uh, or even, you know, the, some of these right-wing militia guys. I'm guessing that the place where that subpoena power is going to be particularly effective is reaching down into the bowels of federal institutions like the FBI and, and, uh, and the Department of Defense and getting the actual documentation from the actual time that this was happening and the days before, the, you know, when they may have been monitoring, you know, the, uh, Seth Abramson's doing such a great job with his uh, newsletter proof, um, you know, where he's just nailing these, the, you know, the, the, these planning meetings that they were having leading up to January 6th. They had two headquarters, basically, one out of the Trump Hotel, one out of, as I recall, the Willard Hotel, um, and, uh, you know, where, where they were staging this operation. I mean, this, this thing was not spontaneous. This was well-planned, and what was planned and, and was planned was actually, you know, let's kill the vice president, let's kill the Speaker of the House, and let's overturn the election. This, this stuff was planned. It was not just, oh, hey, Donald Trump just said march on the Capitol. So, you know, I, I hold no illusions that if they subpoena Trump, for example, or any of the people around him, that they're going to show up or testify, or even if they do show up, that they'll say anything meaningful. But there, there is information that these institutions within our government has that will comply with the subpoenas, because now you have the Biden administration. It's not the Trump administration anymore. And that's where I suspect the really shocking stuff is going to come from. Dennis, thank you for the call. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Amentho in Los Angeles County. Hey, Amentho, what's up? If we don't do something about these uh, suppression laws, it's going to be checkmate. Yep. You know, uh, it already is in some states. Yeah, I don't see, uh, I, I mean, like I said, if, if the Republicans get in, in the White House again, then they'll probably keep it forever. Yeah. You know? and, uh, well, that's what I, Trump I tried to do. When, and he's created, a, you know, and all the other Republicans are now all in on this. So obviously this is their template for the future. And we yeah, just have I mean, to assume I mean, that. Like, we've been on this intermittent road for a long time. And the Democrats haven't been raising it, haven't been, like, taking it serious. Yeah. And, and I, remember, I remember when... When, when Bush was in office, you know, I mean, I remember, I remember when, when Trump first won, you know, I told some, some, some Trumpers or some people that voted for Trump, I said, well, look, I guarantee you, they were, they were so happy when Trump got in. I said, I guarantee you, before Trump gets out of office, we're going to be right back where we were when Bush was in office. Yeah. And lo and behold, yep. you know, and uh, like I say, you know, it's just, it's just the stuff, they, they should have been seeing it coming, they should have been uh, prepared for it all the way down the road. They should have been. I mean, I mean, the, the basic thing is why are the elections uh, uh, able to be, you know, uh, observed, counted, or or, or 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 available to everybody without one area having more uh, voting places than the other area. That, yeah. That right there. Yeah. Here's you know, here's uh, Amento. Here's what uh, President Biden just came out and issued a statement. He said he's extremely disappointed in the Supreme Court decision and democracy is on the line. And that's absolutely the case. I mean, the Supreme Court has a history and in the modern era, the particularly gruesome history goes back to the 1970s of gutting our democratic institutions and gutting democracy. Now they've gutted the, the Voting Rights Act. Uh, they've already gutted the Civil Rights Act. They, uh, it, it, it's just, it's, it, we have, this is, you know, Biden has, I, I keep starting sentences. Um, Biden has this commission that has a six month window to look at the court system, the federal court system and make recommendations. And um, I believe that they're going to be reporting in September. I might be wrong. I might be off by a month or so. Um, and I am very hopeful that they recommend that, that we expand the size of the Supreme Court and expand this, frankly, expand the number of federal courts and, and thus give the Biden administration an opportunity to get some reasonable judges on. Because these, these six right-wingers, they are not acting like judges. They are acting like politicians. And it's just wrong. Amento, thanks for the call. Steve in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Uh, hi, Tom. Uh, I just wanted to say you were talking about Bill Cosby and the rich man's justice. Right. That every OJ, however many years ago that was, I think that justice in America has been. Well, that was kind of the other way around. In the OJ case, you know, in theory, uh, the the families of uh, Ron, what was his last name, and 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 uh, Goldman, yeah, and Roman? and, and his Roman? wife uh, could have could have said to the prosecutors, you know, we'd rather sue, but the prosecutor said, no, no, we, we this is murder. We're going to take this to trial. They lost the case. Um, so then they did the civil case. That's really how it should work if you're going to go after a rich guy. The way that it works in 99% of the cases, though, 
And, and I think maybe you could argue that the reason why it worked the way it should work is because O.J. Simpson was black. And so uh, maybe I should be calling this the white rich man's deal. But in any case, uh, that, that's the ex exception. The rule is when, when really rich people commit crimes that average people would go to jail for, things like fraud or theft or bribery, um, you know, they don't go to jail. They get, they get hit with civil fines. Well, my, my point is uh, justice has been redefined and you're innocent till proven broke. Ha! That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Steve, thank you. That's a, yeah. that, that's a good one. Uh, Raven in Medford, Oregon. Hey, Raven, what's on your mind? I agree with the, the speaker beforehand concerning voter suppression, mm -hmm. but mine is based more. I don't know if your engineer had explained to you who and what I am. I'm probably one of, okay, I'm probably one of the oldest HIV survivors in America, 35 oh. years. I was there at the beginning of the pandemic. I was in the military. And during that time, I had to wear a pink band when I became positive. Whoa. In the military. So I was separated out. Yes, I was in the Navy, separated out with others, um, literally excluded. I did not get my benefits until three years ago. Wow. Even though I was honorably discharged. During that time, I pretty much experienced what those living in Nazi Germany experienced. Wearing a pink band, having to hide, not giving SSI numbers, being afraid that someone was going to come and put us in a camp. What I really see happening right now with the American populace and not making it about race is that when you are part of a dominant group who has really been led to believe certain myths, certain half-truths, when the time of crisis comes, people do not join together. They actually pull further apart. Mm -hmm. And I witnessed that a great deal in the Navy. People being outed and everything, even if they weren't LGBT. Yeah. And what I see happening in America right now is that it's easier for the Democrats to go along because they really have nothing to lose at this point. For them, it's all about gamesmanship and what could happen. Cheryl in Missouri. Hey, Cheryl, what's on your mind today? President Biden, was this, someone had called in earlier and speaking about the um, homeless people. Mm -hmm. And the president endorsing this uh, release of like, drug users who have not committed a crime, you know, and then kind of emptying those spaces out that could be utilizable. And the second thing I want to say to... Um, the big pharmaceutical companies is like the commercials on TV are unusual in regards to side effects, including death, where the original illness or discomfort is not so severe. Um, they're also Cheryl, we are one of only two countries in the world that allows pharmaceutical companies to advertise on TV. I, I, you know, it, it is so bizarre that we have a law that says you may not buy this drug. You have to go to a doctor. And the reason why is because the doctor is the person who spent 12 years in college trying to figure out which drug is right for you. And then we have another law that says, by the way, the drug companies can tell you which drug is right for you. And you can, you know, and presumably go demand it from your doctor. Uh, it, we have now people going to their physicians demanding medication that is not the right medication for, for them, but they are so insistent because they've seen literally billions of dollars worth of television advertising try, convincing of them of that. This has led to opioid epidemics. It's led to addiction to sleeping pills. It's led, to, I mean, it's just, uh, the landscape is just littered. Uh, you know, with, with the side effects of this. And, and I think that we need to join the rest of the developed world and ban pharmaceutical advertising from television. 
you know, because there's a lot of cultural and social and political illnesses going on. It's yeah. like this, this, this mental discomfort kind of thing. Yeah, and, and that's a completely different thing than, you know, from, you know, what you need a drug for. Cheryl, thank you for the call. Steve in Chicago. Hey, Steve, what's up? Uh, yes, I called in because uh, a caller a couple a couple guys back ago, um, you know, wanted to argue this notion that somehow that he found some channel on YouTube, and actually I know the channel he's referring to, um, you know, wherein someone wants to argue that there's a, a debate going on in the scholarly and research community. There's on no this debate. Of, exactly. There's no debate going on. You can find a YouTube channel, as you pointed out, that talks about the debate on flat earth theory. There actually is. I mean, there's there's actually a whole movement that the, that the Earth is flat. It's got people, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But there's no scientific debate. That they no. want to they want to lead you down that road. And Tony Heller is one of these people that uh, if you if you actually you know watch this channel, and this is where I sort of am on the uh, fence because I don't want to promote these people, but sometimes it's necessary for people to go in there and, and see what they have to say. Because if you look at his other material, it's all right wing. It's it's Trumpism. It's all you know. So it's not surprising that this guy. You know, is a far right wing nut, and and wants to distort the science. For instance, he'll he'll make the argument that well, you know, we had certain periods in in the United States in the 1930s where you know see where temperatures spiked. Except that we don't measure global climate change in terms of what happened in the Great Plains in the 1930s. Right, and by the way, those those the the Dust Bowl era was the result of our having spent uh, 70 years, or, or arguably longer, but in particular in the West, 70 years deforesting a large chunk of the country. And that's why exactly. Franklin Roosevelt put together the Civilian Conservation Corps and planted a million trees in the first year, and that is what stopped the Dust Bowl. <laughs> Exactly. Those figures support the notion that, guess what, human beings can impact their environment. Exactly. It's not an argument against it, but, he, but he, so this is just part of a larger epistemological crisis that we're going through in the West, because there was a time, whether you like the New York Times or not, or Washington Post, or you, know, you name it, they, they had fact checkers, they had editors, people actually had to go to journalism school. But today, any nut you know, in their parents' basement can set up a site and, and promote that as science. And it's or not any nut with with a with a with a five hundred thousand dollar grant from Exxon Mobil who sets up a nonprofit, the you know Climate Change Deniers Incorporated. Yeah, I'm with you, Stephen. Thank you. Jeff in San Antonio, Texas says here you disagree with me, Jeff. About what? I was calling and uh, listening to the show on TV and the comment about the insurrection, which I just call a basically a, a protest. Those were not. You're terrorists. talking January sixth at the Capitol building. Yes. I would say 99.99% were American patriots. And you can go ahead and point fingers at those guys that were violent and causing the destruction. Those were maybe anarchists and there to cause trouble, but they were not part of the yeah. people who were... Let me cut you some slack here, situation. Jeff. I will grant you that probably a lot of the several thousand people who showed up were there because they actually believed what Fox and, and other right-wing media had told them that the election was stolen from Donald Trump by evil Democrats and this was their la and what Donald Trump was telling them and that this was their last chance to save American democracy. Um, I, there's no doubt in my mind 
that you know the vast majority of Republicans who are going along with this are are well-intentioned people, or at least many of them, well-intentioned people who are scared to death because they are being frightened by right-wing media. That said, the 500 or so people who are being actively prosecuted by the FBI, and and in particular some of these groups uh, that that have helped organize this, and 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 I would put a couple of members of uh, the Republican Party in there as well. Those folks mm-hmm. knew what, what was, they were trying, you know, they, they, they went in there with the intention of murdering Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. They brought a gallows to the Capitol building. That is terrorism. Terrorism is trying to affect a society or a legislature by fear. Those people are terrorists. And they are the ones who fomented this thing. They are the ones, they and Donald Trump are the ones who, who worked their butts off to get thousands and thousands of people there on that day. And therefore, I believe that you can call it a terrorist attack. I mean, you could probably also, I, I could also argue that the 19 guys who flew airplanes into the towers and into the Pentagon back on 9-11 were dupes of Osama bin Laden, and Osama bin Laden was the master terrorist, and they really and truly believed that America was the great Satan that was going to destroy Islam around the world and, you know, end their right to religion. Uh, Fine, but we still call them terrorists, because what they did is they engaged in an act of terrorism. What happened on January 6th, attempting to intimidate the Congress of the United States and murder the Vice President and Speaker of the House, how can you call that anything other than terrorism, Jeff? Well, you might stretch it and say that they were planning that, but you would have to have some pretty good evidence and some good proof. And they bring. How about like Donald said, Trump's that, Twitter feed? How about Donald Trump's what? Twitter feed? Oh, Twitter feed. I mean, they were they planned this right out in the open. It was all over Facebook. It was all over Twitter. I mean, this is the, this is what's so infuriating about it is you know the FBI had you know just parlor right just that one right-wing social media website notified the fbi 51 times that there was going to be a terrorist attack on the capitol on january 6th and the and the trump administration fbi said don't see anything here well i i don't i don't know how can you not call this terrorism the the fbi has intention. I mean, they have their agenda as well. I, I, I think the administration, think they, the Trump administration was, was, was complicit in this. And then you had Chris Miller, who, who, you know, wrote the memo saying the National Guard may not be mobilized and you may not help the Capitol Police unless you hear from us. And then for four hours, they had, you had members of Congress, you had governors, you had Republican Governor Hogan of Maryland calling the White House, begging for action. And, and no, no, we're not going to do anything. And, and they didn't do anything until it was finally declared by the media that Nancy Pelosi was not dead and that Mike Pence was not dead. And once that happened, you know, that was the end of it. listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.